Flexmuscle.com brings you Quantum Physiques, building strength and power for your mind, your body, and your spirit. Alternative medicine, muscle growth, mood enhancement, motivation, putting your mind at ease, harnessing your maximum potential. Quantum Physiques, here's your host, Brian Cunningham. And welcome to another episode of Quantum Physiques, where we strive to build strength and muscle for mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Brian Cunningham, here on the rxmuscle.com website, where we have our weekly show here, and I want to welcome our guest. We're going to skip the usual intro with Jeff and I and go right to our guest, Dana Hauser. And before I actually say hello to Dana, I just wanted to say a few things. Number one is uh, I just wanted to, um, I guess, note the passing of Art Atwood. Uh, he was one of the... Um, I guess first bodybuilders to grace the covers of the RX Muscle magazine. I believe after Dave was on the first issue, Dave Palumbo, Art was on the second issue, and he was a good friend of the original publisher of the magazine. Uh, unfortunately, he was a very famous bodybuilder, of course, and uh, passed away at a very early age of 37. And uh, Jeff and I were just talking about that um, before the show began, about just the, you know, the irony of how most people strive to, to win things or to succeed in life and often the costs of those, um, you know, just uh, Dave got a video on the uh, website about some guy who began a new bar called the Bully Bar. And as part of the interview, uh, this guy was commenting on how he was like 55 or 60 years old and he had a massive heart attack. And he was a pretty healthy guy, a weightlifter. And it just seems like my impression is a lot of people are willing to push hard to succeed without realizing the hidden cost of that success, which is, again, one of the key themes we want to hit upon is just to be fully aware, of course, of what everything in life is costing us. We can make more intelligent choices. So, um, Dana, are you there? Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Welcome to the show. Everyone knows who you are, so there's no need to introduce you, of course. Um, Dana, interesting conversation we had last week with another regular guest of mine. Her name was uh, Dr. Denise Nadler. We were discussing the energies that people have, the male and female energies, and how some you know, some women, of course, can be very masculine in their energy and very ambitious and driven. And um, you know, just that dynamic, in a sense, and how each of us, in a sense, possess male and female, um, I guess, parts. And it's just interesting because, of course, that ine- inevitably, could cascade down to a conversation about sexual energies, if you want to call it, actually. And uh, I just happened to see this yesterday, Dana, an article on AOL, which is a mainstream uh, media source, discussing the benefits of polygamy. There was a, uh, a woman there who's a regular blogger on the Huffington Post, and she was commenting on how she's blessed to have, uh, I guess, the Mormon lifestyle with her sister wives, as she calls it, and the one husband. And uh, I just thought it was kind of interesting how these things are, I guess HBO's got a series now, uh, I forgot what it's called, True Love or something, which brings this stuff more to the forefront. And it's just kind of an interesting segue because we are going to discuss, I guess, um, this topic, Dana, right, tonight of uh, sexual performance or sexual issues. I have a few female friends myself, Dana, who've commented on how their boyfriends are having uh, troubles in the bedroom, believe it or not. And uh, I'm sure you would be able to elaborate. It's not just as simple as popping a Viagra, is it, Dana? <laughs> uh, not, not even quite that. So, yeah, exactly. um, yeah, I mean, if we if we think about it, I mean, it's kind of it's like the age-old Coolidge effect, really. Uh, you know, depending upon the length of the relationship at heart or at hand, um, you know, you're actually subject to uh, various things that have sort of, uh, at least at a different level, kind of, at least subconsciously, uh, prevented that from um, kind of getting it, uh, you know, underway as, as at 
perhaps once did or once once you know that it you know wasn't an issue um you know i mean it's it's sort of this thing whereas you know we're even built in with things like refractory periods and 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 really don't have uh the option of uh you know continual um sexual encounters and or you know things of that flight um and uh but sometimes however presented with a novice female that's a little bit different and, and 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 this can actually relate back to some of our conversations of past with uh testosterone itself testosterone being the predominant sort of sex drive determinant at least from a hormonal state um and then of course uh there are some things that might drive you uh in other directions so um it's an interesting topic it's you know quite broad um Quite in depth, sure. You know, Dana, I want to back up one step here, actually, and just kind of uh, have some fun because you and I really became became more friendly uh, with our Facebook uh, inter inter um, interactions about a year ago, and there was some. pretty cool philosophical exchanges you and I were having actually you know and so the whole point just so you know of last week's show about the male and female energies was basically that um, you know because as you know in this world everybody romance drives everything as we all know I mean the one of the main purposes of, of organisms in a sense are reproduction or in a more romantic sense we could say courtship or ritual or marriage whatever you want to call that um, and of course you know our entire society is based around that but one of the things we discovered last week was that really only only a whole human being, somebody that can balance polarities in a sense, can balance negative and positive or balance masculine and feminine, can really be complete or in a sense happy, you know? And, uh, you know, Dana, knowing where you come from, this does harken back to, I guess, the ancient masters, of course, as well, whether it be, uh, you know, as I always say, Lao Tzu, Buddha, or Christ, that talked about these types of, of things, actually. And so, you know, if you want to chime in, I'm kind of curious as to what you feel about that whole thing about, you know, balancing energies, because you're in a very successful relationship yourself, of course, and, uh, you know, you are an avid uh, enthusiast of deeper thinking, as we all know. So I'd be more than glad to hear uh, anything you want to share on, on, on this uh, topic. Yeah, of course. You, you, you get me on uh, a week where I'm uh, returning from California, and it's, uh, last week's show was probably the first one I didn't get to hear, unfortunately. Um, okay. Sounds intriguing, but uh, it's actually the first show I don't believe I've actually listened to, uh, at least not start to finish. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, this, uh, you know, and again, success in and of its own right is defined, you know, differently by everybody. So what a successful relationship means uh, is, you know, certainly of debate or subject for debate. Um, you know, if, if we're judging success by bedroom standards, that's one, you know, prototypical discussion of, of you know, what, <laughs> what one might say is a successful relationship. Sure. Um, or where romance itself that? hasn't died. Well, well, yeah, well, I mean, it depends. I mean, it depends on where that's even going because some could suggest that maybe it's duration itself that's causing the, the uh, essential issue, you know. Um, however, that's an evolutionary advantage, as you know. Uh, yeah. You know, kind of the ability to kind of pass your genetic material on from person to person, which could get back into our uh, uh, discussions of, if you, you know, the appropriateness of overt monogamy or, or, or thinking that's sort of limited to that uh, and as to whether or not we ourselves actually are, are ever meant to be uh, monogamous creatures. I think you've actually made some uh, interesting points, at least in these uh, Facebook discussions that you have uh, uh, brought up here uh, about that. No, I, I, mean, I mean, much to a lot of other people's you know, contention, uh, I don't think uh, many people would share that viewpoint, or at least not openly. 
Um, which maybe Howard, is the... Uh, well, you know, the, the, the wise sage Howard Stern actually once said, monogamy is for losers. And actually, he was really on the money there because he probably... Met, of course, it's very um, dualistic. In a sense, you know, you would say that, well, only losers would be monogamous because they can only get, like, say... As, he probably meant it in the sense of getting one girl. But believe it or not, from an evolutionary perspective, actually, um, monogamy makes winners out of everybody because, as you know, like Genghis Khan and all these great leaders had hundreds of wives. And oftentimes, that was at the cost of other men having any access to females. So in a sense, you could say monogamy, um, you know, I guess in a sense, there is some kind of, I guess, irony there in that monogamy makes, you know, all men yeah. have, have equal access to some degree, you know? Yeah. Enough of Howard Stern, though. We'll get back to a more serious tangent here. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so as far as, you know, I guess sex drive is concerned, because again, like I said, some of my female friends have mentioned that it isn't just about, I guess, getting a hormone panel and finding out you have healthy testosterone levels, is it? It really is more. I mean, there's dopamine, there's, um, I guess, prolactin for refractory period, um, there's, is it melanocortin receptors, which seem to be a new pathway now for drug development, perhaps? Is that, is that correct for sex drive? Uh, to, to, to some level. I mean, there's melanocortin receptors in uh, a lot of various tissue bodies, um, and, you know, you and I have discussed uh, at least the components, PT-141 uh, being one of the uh, things that you and I have had a little bit of, you know, background discussion on, but uh, developed originally from melanotan-2, actually, uh, which activates these melanocortin receptors, and they've actually found, you know, um, some interesting things because uh, it really actually caused sexual arousal. While that wasn't really what they were uh, at least aiming for, <laughs> I guess that's the story of a lot of, you know, drug development. Um, you know, we were actually trying to limit ischemic issues or, or a sort of a shutoff of, uh, of oxygen. While we successfully did it, unfortunately, it wasn't uh, to things that we wanted to. Uh, reperfusion of the heart and or the brain, you know, actually the penis ended up getting sort of a better, uh, a better break, I guess. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, most of the original volunteers actually had a lot of spontaneous erections and things like that. And they, you know, couldn't realistically uh, uh, figure out the whys behind that. And I don't know is that we've elicited a, a, a mechanism that's exact per se outside of the fact that uh, these melanocortin receptors, uh, MC1R and MC4R uh, in particular, uh, are the things that sort of are stimulated in, in, in various tissue bodies of which uh, one may actually include uh, various blood vessels uh, inclusive of, uh, of penile tissue. Now, in phase three trials, unfortunately, there were a lot of concerns about increased blood pressure. So that was with at least um, uh, at least the uh, the nasal version, the first version. Um, and so they they stopped production of that, and you know they're going into uh, sort of a subcutaneous delivery system, um, you know, uh, for erectile dysfunction itself. So, and, and again, this has been not necessarily just the case. Just this particular drug, but it's actually something that's uh, consistent across the uh, drug development schemas in general. Yeah, interesting points, actually. Now, Dan, as you know, there's a quite a large segment of the listening audience that um, 
are actively using these hobby research places to get, um, I guess, you know, materials for testing purposes for whatever reasons, sure. I guess, basically, right? Sure. Now, just <laughs> hypothetically speaking, um, with their lab animals that these people will be conducting experiments on, are there any of these, um, you know, currently available gray market substances that have you concerned? Like, for example, I do, I have read about some concerns, whether they're warranted or not, I'm not really sure, but over Milano 10, 1 and 2, for example, sure, they may accelerate, um, you know, I guess, melanin production but is there any are there anything that anything that concerns you here i guess maybe purity issues or even the specific agents themselves as having maybe uh you know unfettered uh you know side effects uh, anything you maybe you want to comment on just to give our listeners a warning a heads up you know i mean i mean there's going to be a side effect to the potential of use of anything realistically like i said you know <laughs> the original development of of this sort of peptide from melanotan 2 itself uh realistically was uh, sort of uh, uh, concerning, at least for us, because of you know, higher blood pressure and so forth. So you figure out how you can actually take that, uh, uh, that medication and kind of deliver it in a way that's not going to essentially affect every body tissue. Um, Melanotan 2, for the most part, the side effects are, are usually limited to uh, sort of nausea, I guess, is probably the most common I've uh, experienced uh, users suggest or... or um, Whomever, I mean, uh, the, the 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 usual offering is that there is, you know, more an issue in the the sort of GI uh, nausea side of sure. the coin, stomach cramps sometimes, maybe decreased appetite or something. Not anything that's probably overtly concerning. Again, you do see obviously those spontaneous erections, but nothing that, at least that that. I've sort of said, oh my gosh, this is going to be, you know, insanely dangerous or, or, or things along that way. I don't, I don't know if you've heard something different. Um, I mean, there are some interactions probably, you know, with various things that could possibly cause issues. So if you sort of say, you know, use Melanotan style uh, AIDS plus, say, an erectile dysfunction medication, that could certainly be interesting. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, well, I mean, Viagra and Cialis and so forth, Levitra, all these kinds of things. I mean, they're they're they're, you know, everybody's trying to look for ways to extend or ways to look like the the, the marathon man again. Wow, working against evolution, at least in that in that debate. But uh, um, you know, I could see certainly drops in blood pressure with certain combination of things, uh, whereas you could get too much of a, of a dilation, which may cause even uh, areas like the brain not to get physical, uh, uh, not to get physical oxygen, uh, because, you, you know, these blood vessels are kind of opening up, uh, and as, as a result, you're probably seeing a drop in blood pressure, and then that pressure is what we're using to kind of get blood and oxygen itself to the brain, but again, I mean, that is probably very, very um, rare, at that. Yeah. Sure. So, I mean, yeah, overall, I, I don't think there's a lot. I mean, if, if, if the female using it, um, pregnancy and breastfeeding, you know, I don't think those things have uh, uh, been adequately looked into. But, I mean, you know, barring that not being the case, then, uh, you know, you're probably in, you know, okay shape, so to speak. Yeah, sure, sure. And then now, just out of curiosity, there's no way to naturally stimulate melanocortin receptors. Is there at all, or any types of uh, foods or supplements? Oh, nothing that I would say is overtly successful. Yeah, I mean, 18 we, we pounds of avocado, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Avocado's still good <laughs> as much no, as you I want. No, I know it is actually. <laughs> right. so you got me. You got me eating more of them. Thanks, thanks to that last comment on the on the thread over there on the on the, the forum. That was great. But um, no, I'm just kind of wondering what there is there. I know that another one is, of course, for men for a refractory period is brom bromocryptine. Um, and I'm kind of wondering there too. Is there anything? Are there any natural prolactin modulators that you know of? Yeah, I mean, you know, the biggest one that's used is usually mucunipurians, which that's right. um, is actually, you know, usually standardized to various concentrations of L-dopa. Uh, dopamine itself is actually uh, sort of a negative player or at least a uh, inhibitor of prolactin secretion. Um, it's actually a neurotransmitter, but it's it's something secreted by the, the hypothalamus that will actually uh, impart a role at least in... Um, uh, activation of gonadotropins. So prolactin would essentially negate, uh, you know, at levels of, uh, such as GnRH or gonadotropin releasing hormone, uh, but probably more prominently uh, at the level of the, the pituitary with uh, LH and FSH. So you, you see usual attenuations or, or, or lowering of uh, LH and FSH. Uh, values in people who have higher prolactin levels. Uh, so, bromocryptine, yeah. at least for those that have high levels of uh, prolactin to begin, would certainly, you know, hold some benefit because now you're essentially freeing up uh, the propensity for, you know, LH and FSH to sort of uh, run either wild or at least uh, at their natural levels or what would be natural without the uh, prolactin itself. And obviously, uh, in part, impact on the testes or uh, alternatively, you know, female uh, equivalent, the uh, the ovary, uh, and actually, you know, impart the 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 accord, you know, the action accordingly to uh, to both sexes. So, Do you there, are, there are, I mean, there are other the other things that follow that same characteristic, and and you know, uh, cabergoline. Uh, yeah. is, is certainly uh, one that's uh, uh, prominently used. The only concern with that would be using that long-term. Uh, and long-term, there's a lot of uh, uh, cardiac valvular side effects with that. That's so right. uh, that, I, I, I would kind of steer clear of that. I, I, I think even Macuna for some people may be a safer alternative uh, to Capergoline. You just have to sort of see what level, because we don't really know, you know, what side effects are seen, you know, the higher we use the dose. What I can tell you is, uh, it's actually interesting. There's been studies on uh, up to five grams a day uh, of probably about a 20% uh, L-DOPA extract uh, for, for Macuna that actually led to increased sperm production and increased uh, motility. So if you're actually measuring the fertility of an individual, that, in, that fertility... Uh, the way you'll actually do it with a um, with sort of a semen analysis, you're looking at both you know sperm count and you're looking at the motility. Motility you want greater than 50%. Uh, sperm count usually it's somewhere around 20 million. Uh, that's per ejaculate. If you're if you're sort of uh, where our standard is, of course you only need one sperm. But at least in that setting, uh, you know it was interesting because three months at five grams a day actually led to an increase in both. Um, both sperm count and motility, which is sort of interesting, interesting from, from, from a number of standpoints, the first of which is that if you use something like HCG, which is actually an LH mimetic or an LH-style agent, which will actually induce production of testosterone at the level of the testes, you actually would see an increase in, in sperm count, but your motility drops. Mm. There's nothing that I've at least evaluated um, with success 
that's actually had impact on both. So it's, it's kind of interesting how this sort of role here may actually impart uh, sort of a better overall or overriding uh, impact. This obviously would, you know, play a role for people that are infertile, but, you know, generally your anticipation is that if it's having such a, a role on fertility itself, that perhaps it's the testosterone benefits. I don't think it's been looked at to the to the best degree it could be looked at, uh, and it's very limited in, in the number of studies, but it was a pretty reputable journal that this particular article came out of. So... I mean, there's a lot of modulation at levels that are higher that would certainly impart effects where you'd essentially look for them uh, and subsequently uh, affecting hormonal cascades. Uh, and again, this is neuronally speaking, so, you know, it's, it's, it's often considered the neuroendocrine system, you know, because you're starting, you're getting these impulses sure. from the brain, which are sent down to sort of regulate everything else. I mean, it's, it's interesting how everything works in concert. You know, oftentimes... Uh, I mean, I think you even suggested here that, you know, maybe it's not just hormones. Well, it's not, but it's what's impacting hormones from the neuronal level that's, you know, kind of imparting action here. And then, of course, it, you know, would further go back to, to things like uh, genetics and so forth. So, I mean, all of these things kind of interplay, and it's kind of interesting how we're uh, set in general uh, uh, to sort of run as a, at least as, a, as an entire unit. Um, and, and there's nothing more complex than, than uh, various uh, sexual hormone cascades, etc. Sure, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because I think most guys, if given the option, would rather decrease fertility and increase <laughs> sex drive and performance, actually. I think we yeah. most, most of us have enough problems as it is already. We don't want to add more fertility to the plate. <laughs> well, but I guess you're right. You kind of can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You gotta kind of keep both, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, and it's you know, and it's it's an interesting debate. I mean, I've had a lot of guys, uh, whether they come in post cycle or something along those lines, that'll actually uh, kind of regret that decision. And sometimes it's too late. I know there's uh, some guys, sort of an increasing amount of guys who are coming in actually in their forties, having used anabolic aids at younger ages, that now are suffering the consequence and saying, well, wait a minute, maybe I did want kids after all. So there's also that side of the coin, and sure. I'm, I'm actually kind of seeing that more frequently, to be honest with you. So, you know, and you're talking, again, an average of 22 months post-cycle where you yeah. can actually see attenuation of sperm counts and such. So, you know, that's an average, so some, some more, some less, but usually you're kind of sitting at that long of an average. I mean, almost a two-year time frame. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a consideration. It's a consideration. Yeah, no, it is, I'm sure. If, if a man is on HRT or on, on various types of performing enhancing agents, um, does the length of time on, I guess, decrease his chances of actually becoming fertile later in life, or is there a well, cocktail I mean, he can take to amp up? <laughs> yeah, I mean, here's cash? the issue with this. I mean, we can sit here and pontificate constantly, but what the end result is is still just that. The reason I say that is, you know, because honestly, there's such a hush-hush around it that we, we don't have good controlled data to say, yeah, this is indefinite. And I can tell you with 100% certainty that all fertility, at least in the post-cycle realm, is going to sort of be, uh, or at least play out in a particular way. Uh, in fact, there was just a recent uh, article, oh goodness, I uh, didn't really prepare to talk about this, but in the, in the same um, this particular article had suggested a pretty lengthy uh, uh, time where someone was infertile uh, with significant use. And again, because we're limited oftentimes to case studies and not 
big populations of, of guys who would either participate or, you know, that an, an IRB would actually claim said study ethical, yeah. you know, administration of hormone or, you know, either giving some people certain therapies afterward, you know, in the essence of HRT, or some guys not, uh, you know, who do you decide what for? Um, it's, it's, it's an area that, while needs more research, I think as long as there's sort of this dark cloud over it, uh, even the therapies, unfortunately, that go with it are kind of poo-pooed for the most part. Yeah, sure, I sure. can't believe I said poo-pooed on the air. That's <laughs> okay. Jeff can edit it out. So just out of curiosity, in your clinical practice, do you find most men are kind of like, for the most part, cookie cutter and that they respond to conventional HRT? Or do these other factors play in, like dopamine and, um, you know, I guess other downstream uh, effects or, or, or drivers of, um, of sexual performance? I mean, is it just as simple as testosterone in your, in your experience? Oh, by no means. By no means. It is okay. I mean, Testosterone, is, I mean, there is a side whereas giving testosterone could be worse. So you kind of attempt, at least in that particular scenario, to avoid that because you'd still get you know, negative feedback. So you don't want to compound the problem. But there are certain agents that will induce sort of a, for instance, a, a, a hyper or high prolactin state. Um, that would certainly benefit wholeheartedly from such an agent. Uh, but, you know, in the, in the grand scheme, we're actually seeing that to probably play a role, even if prolactin isn't high. How we can continue to do a lot of these things because it's truly off-label um, is of debate. You know, I, I don't know that there'd uh, be any at least uh, insurance agency that would uh, fund such a thing. But, um, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because you'd see guys who would actually even benefit. And it may be something as simple as, you know, use of something like a Makuna, um, you know, even in kind of self-mode. Don't know a lot about the long-term effects, though. So, you know, Makuna in high doses, yeah, I don't know, at least at uh, three-month intervals. And as long as you're not going over five grams, I mean, I've got to say that at least from a replicative standpoint, you know, that's pretty pretty decent data. I'm not even sure there's a lot of three-month trials on a lot of the pharmaceutical agents we've got. Yeah, yeah, good point. And, of course, you would also consider uh, at some point adding in diaspartic acid since you're a fan of that one, too, I'm assuming. <laughs> I'm a big fan uh, of diaspartic acid. I'm a big yeah, fan of diaspartic acid, of course, and uh, we'll give you the kind of the uh, free airway time on that. So. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Um, so listen, Dan, let me take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to discuss a whole new topic of epigenetics. because This is kind of an interesting new thing for uh, most of our listeners here. This is Quantum Physiques here on RxMuscle.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this quick break. Quantum Physiques, building strength and power for your mind, body, and spirit. Visit ExtremeFitNutrition.com, the newest and hottest supplement super site. We carry all the major brands, including Species, MHP, BPI, BSN, Optimal Nutrition, Gaspari, and many more. Low on cash? No problem. ExtremeFitNutrition.com offers competitive prices that our competitors can't beat. Now you can supplement your diet without having to supplement your bank account. Here's some of our specials. Buy $100 worth of Species products or Metabolic Nutrition and get a free t-shirt and bag. Buy two $200 worth of BSN products and receive a BSN t-shirt and shaker bottle. Check out ExtremeFitNutrition.com for more great deals. Visit us at the 2011 Olympia Expo. Stop by booth number 322 and meet IFBB pros Bethany Wagner, Guy Sister Nino, Tiana Gonzalez, and Gina Trociano. Remember, there's only one extreme. Visit ExtremeFitNutrition.com now. 
Gear is a powerful new line of nutraceutical products that prepare, optimize, and repair your body to get the best results before, during, and after your workout. Gear utilizes the latest advances in food science and the purest form of raw ingredients to ensure that you are getting the safest and most effective physical results possible. If you're looking to take your physical performance to the next level, Gear is the answer to obtain and sustain those results. It's time to experience the difference with Gear. This is IFBB Pro Michael DeVittori from Team Gear. Come see me in the full line of Gear products at our official launch taking place at the MPC Nationals in South Beach, Miami, November 18th, 2011. See you there. Are you tired all day, not making the gains you like? Are you taking a long time to recuperate from your workouts? Then you may be suffering from sleep apnea and not even know it. Sleep apnea affects over 68% of athletes and it may be interfering with your performance. WinningEdgeSleep.com was developed by IFBB pro athlete Dr. Derling Castro to help athletes find out if they have this problem and how to fix it. WinningEdgeSleep.com because sleep is the most anabolic agent there is. WinningEdgeSleep.com Visit them today. Hydrolyze Ultra, the leader in cellular hydration water. Hydrolyze Ultra water has been designed by shrinking and reshaping molecules to allow a faster and more sustained delivery into your cells. Our cellular water has gone through a magnetism and laser treatment process, along with adding electrolytes to our special ingredients. This allows all nutrients to be absorbed at a maximum cellular state. By using Hydrolyze Ultra, all nutrients, supplements, and carbohydrates you consume will be absorbed at a greater rate. Lactic acid gets flushed faster, and you'll feel fully hydrated. Get the advantage that top athletes have achieved. Try Hydrolyze Ultra today. Visit HydrolyzeUltra.com. That's HydrolyzeUltra.com. P28 High Protein Bread is the official bread of RX Muscle. Are you looking to incorporate more protein into your meals or just want to enjoy bread again? Then look no further. Try the 100% natural P28 High Protein Bread. P28 High Protein Bread is a formulated revolutionary breakthrough product. Packed with whey protein isolate, 14 grams of protein per slice, 12 grams of carbs, 8 essential amino acids, and made with 100% whole wheat. Fear bread no more. Build a better body with P28. Order today at HighProteinBread.com. P28 is also now available at Bodybuilding.com and many other retailers. Order now. HighProteinBread.com. P28 Bread. RX Muscle approved. RxMuscle.com. Now you have a place to turn when you want the truth on bodybuilding, diet, and exercise, up to the minute news, and more. Visit the RxMuscle.com forums featuring celebrity Q and A's with IFBB professional athletes, top amateurs, and the brightest minds in the industry. Listen to our weekly radio shows, including Heavy Muscle Radio, Muscle Girls Inc., After Hours, and more. Contest coverage, videos, even our own social networking site, RxMuscle Place. Visit RxMuscle.com. Welcome back to Quantum Physiques. We're here with our special guest and regular, Dr. Dana Hauser. I want to segue now into another conversation that is relative to everybody. Again, one of the things about this show is I really want to make it so that everybody can grab their family members and say, hey, you guys got to listen to this because it applies not only to bodybuilders and athletes, but anybody who wants to be uh, improve performance in their life. And uh, this particular area is something that is uh, relatively new, I guess, to the mainstream audience. And um, it's called the field of epigenetics. And that's how basically... Uh, uh, I guess non. Um, well, you know what, Dana? Maybe you can describe it for me in, in better, better terminology. But basically, it's uh, yeah. it's how other influences like nutrition and, and environmental toxins can turn on or turn off genes, basically, right? Oh yeah, I mean, and, and, and absolutely. It's, it's very hard to kind of uh, quantify these effects, but 
epi itself means above or on top of, in addition to. Uh, I can keep going, but in addition to genetics. So things that happen outside of gen genetic influence. So um, you have things that will potentially alter traditional molecular basis is, you know, for inheritance, you could suggest that, oh, I'm getting half of my uh, genetic material from mom, half of it from dad. That's only part of the story. Uh, yes, half is coming from mom, half, half is coming from dad, and they're neatly packed in nice little chromosomes and so forth. But at the same time, there's influence still, and this is sort of where we get into sort of nature-nurture style events and, and, and the things that you've very much so just discussed. Uh, you can't escape genetics. But there are some things that uh, uh, can run aberrant or run differently, um, and you and I have had discussion in the past, you know, in the past about DNA methylation. Uh, methylation being a big term, at least that's used sometimes thrown about. Well, this is an interesting one, actually. Even that one right there, because, you know, a few guys have asked me, well, how does methylation and taking methyl donors, um, and I believe a methyl group is a CH3 or a CH4, um, how does taking methyl donors like trimethylglycine or dimethylglycine, as an example, uh, differ from taking a substance with a methyl that's methylated, like, say, uh, Anivar, Oxangelone, in a sense? Is it just really where the, the methyl group is attached to what carbon? Is that, that determined as toxicity? Well... Methylation itself is is not a bad word. I mean, I don't think you should look okay. at it like that. Um, I mean, as you said, meth you know, like if you're methylating um, CH3 uh, with that carbon itself, the only reason there's three uh, hydrogen atoms on uh, is is the third is is usually attached to some side chain group, um, okay. or you can actually use the CH3 as its own functional side, um, but it's usually rel you know, relatively inert. The issue that's had, or at least when we're talking methylation itself, is how it regulates genetic transcription. So this might be something, too, at least for illustrative purposes, uh, that we sort of put uh, sort of how DNA itself is, is structured um, and the fact that there are you know, regulators of, of transcription that are sitting upstream in a promoter region. Usually these things are transcriptionally silent. What happens, though, uh, is you have the potential that this aberrant methylated patterns could actually come in, um, and they're actually responsible for a large number of, of issues. I mean, if you want to make this family-oriented or, 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 for lack of a better word, apply to uh, the, the population outside of bodybuilding, um, you know, this is probably most prominent in uh, large numbers of uh, human malignancies, and we, we kind of quantify it. We can say that you're either hyper, too much methylated, or hypo-methylated, and if those are active regions on uh, the actual DNA molecule itself, if you have too much, and that particular promoter region is actually, I'll back up for a second, cancer has two sources, both of which are genetic one of which is something called a tumor suppressor gene, the other of which is called an oncogene. Now, you're either shutting a tumor suppressor gene off, so if you shut it off, obviously it no longer suppresses the tumor, so now the tumor runs amok. An oncogene, you turn on, it's something that, you know, an onc or oncology or, or what have you is usually cancerous. Uh, if you turn on this suggested oncogene or, or in the promoter region a proto-oncogene, um, you, you're, 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 you're talking about making something turn on or turn itself on. So if you have 
hypermethylation, what you'll actually do is you, you, you methylate this promoter region of, say, a tumor suppressor gene, and in that particular state, you're going to repress transcription. So you actually won't, you won't be able to, at least uh, from a genetic side, you won't be able to transcribe. You won't be able to, to, to sort of express that tumor suppressor gene, and as a result, things run out of, out of hand. Um, that's if there's too much methylation. The hypomethylation, or the little bit of methylation, uh, runs uh, a little bit differently, but it's usually with the oncogene, so sort of turning those things on. Um, usually when you talk about uh, methylation, there's uh, one topic that comes up, um, and that's homocysteine. And you and I have certainly had some discussion about that um, outside of the show here. Uh, sure. And I am an overt homophobe. Um, <laughs> I, I do think that there are uh, differences between what at least the medical community itself will suggest um, an elevated homocysteine is, uh, what a treatment target homocysteine level is, and what an optimal score uh, would be. So uh, for males and females, usually off by about a point. So females kind of get the benefit. It's uh, usually anything, at least in the medical community, greater than 10.4, and, and males are usually greater than 11.4. So uh, males, uh, kind of a lot of things are, are happening more reactions and so forth are happening uh, at sort of a higher rate, uh, and as a result, I guess we're kind of allotted a little bit more of the uh, so-called nasty stuff here, but treatment targets uh, with agents like you have suggested, um, that of which being various B vitamins, trimethylglycine, um, SAMe, or methionine, um these particular agents uh, will assist uh, homocysteine from being uh, put into a number of uh, sort of different cascades. And again, this is something that visually um, you may say, oh my God, uh, we're looking at uh, the homocysteine cascade, and it's usually a nice circle uh, with uh, a whole slew of reactions. Um, not necessarily uh, that important as to you know, the notion of what each step may be or uh, things along the way. But there's been an association that's been seen over time. Increasing homocysteine itself uh, is actually something um, that with increased plasma levels, you have higher rates of uh, cardiovascular disease, uh, uh, amongst everything you can possibly think of, bone density issues, uh, diabetes, uh, and the list goes on and on. It's pretty much endless. Um, I won't uh, list off hundreds of things, but you can virtually associate uh, high levels of homocysteine um, and tie it back to uh, almost any or virtually any kind of uh, disease uh, state or process. So uh, the guy who originally did it, uh, Dr. Kilmer McCulley, he was actually a, sort of a, a Harvard guy, um, and a lot of people uh, kind of suggested his... Uh, science uh, or lack thereof uh, was something they couldn't buy into. And then the problem has kind of continued to you know, strand from that in that some studies will suggest yes, some studies will suggest no. Homocysteine seems to be a stronger player we know in cerebrovascular uh, or at least uh, sort of brain vascular uh, type ailments, strokes, so forth. Um, whereas 
it's not been as clear cut from a from a cardiac standpoint or from a heart standpoint. So um, this is uh, uh, something that's kind of plagued it. You know, for every uh, ten studies positive, you can see ten studies negative. So it, it, it's very challenging, and I think that's led a lot of people astray. Um, for those that are looking to kind of uh, have an impact on their own health, uh, you know, let's call it a completely a waste or expensive urine, as some people like to suggest the ingestion of a lot of these other age agents. If that's the case, then so be it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I'm often stressed the sort of uh, proverb there of uh, the guy who believed in God just because it was sort of an insurance <laughs> policy. Sure. You know, I mean, that's the reality of it. You know, it's kind of like what we're essentially uh, partaking in by supplementing, perhaps in the first place, especially from a life extension side. Is that you know what? If that's just my insurance policy, so be it. It's sure, shit is a lot cheaper than a lot of other things. That's a great point, actually, and it kind of brings back to the original one of the original topics on the, at the height of the show was that you know a famous bodybuilder Art Atwood just recently passed away at the young age of thirty seven, and uh, you know I kind of wonder what your opinion is about this because you're kind of touching upon it right now that um, you know people that are athletes probably push themselves just in and of itself in often unhealthy ways. Long term, you know, heavy lifting or, or, or really pushing your body hard probably may not be the healthiest thing to do. You combine that with uh, maybe an unhealthy diet, high stress levels, um, you know, maybe even the use of uh, performance enhancing agents and maybe even recreational drugs, whether it be caffeine, nicotine, alcohol, or even some of the more illicit ones. You're really creating a cocktail for uh, an, early, an early disaster in a sense, right? So my whole thing was you better be compensating much more aggressively with these types of lifestyle factors playing into your life. I mean, don't, don't you kind of think? Oh, sure. I mean, this is something that, uh, like I said, common medical uh, thought will not support it, at least not common Western medicine thought, um, you know, won't support such a thing, but, uh, or at least we're very uh, skeptical, especially yeah. when it comes to uh, supplements and so forth. But, uh, that said, it would be also at the same time hard to believe that you know we're limited to just pharmaceutical agents, which you know probably start out at least a, a way that supplements would, an extract or a, or at least you know things that represent various plant forms or or, or whatever might be you know put in a, uh, a supplemental pill. But you're actually using those particular things, at least in this, or if we go back to methylation, at least in that particular setting, you're using it to your advantage to drive, say, homocysteine down either a methylation cascade, a methylation that would be essentially productive, allowing for removal of bad players, or even down an alternative pathway or cascade, which is actually in production of glutathione, which we know to be a very, very positive um, antioxidant. And you can learn quite a bit from just knowing methylation and, and redox-style uh, reactions in general. Um, sure. I mean, in general, that can pretty much tell you, you know, at least the pathogenesis of a lot of ailments. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, I mean, so those... You can kind of look at all this thing. You know, methionine itself is going to start the, the homocysteine cascade, and it's usually a reversible reaction. The things that drive transition from all of those various things I suggested are B vitamins, trimethylglycine, uh, yeah. which is usually quoted as poor man SAMe, um, and SAMe is a step along the way realistically, and you can alternatively give yourself, you know, this sort of 
methylation, you just have to be careful because if you don't also supplement that with B vitamins, B12, B6, folic acid, you're also driving that equation. If you put SAMe into the equation or trimethylglycine, you're driving it back to actually increase your levels of homocysteine. So oh, no it would kidding. Be, wow, okay. I didn't right. Know that. So it would, actually be, it would actually be co-supplementation, a lot of the cofactors that drive these equations. You know, it was interesting. Years ago, um, on a board called uh, Discount Anabolics, um, I actually started there some time ago. Well, I didn't start there, but I, I sort of resurfaced there. Um, <laughs> uh, at least in my 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 board lifespan, sure. and uh, with that, uh, someone asked me, you know, if I could put my top ten supplements together, what would they look like? And or if I was limited to one supplement, what would it be? And while everyone else is suggesting pro hormone and this and that, it was interesting because my first thought was, and even protein powders, my first thought was always, no, it'd be B vitamins easily, hand down, hand wow. down. Yeah, you know, a, a sort of a B complex style vitamin would be the quintessential thing to use. You know, you're driving oh, so many reactions and it's so rapidly taken out of the body as a water-soluble subset of vitamins um, that, that it just seems to not have those at different times during the course of a day would actually put you at a disadvantage because methylation is needed all the time. I mean, there's things happening. Hell, I can move my arm in the air right now and as a result, there's some chemical, biochemical level of breakdown that's occurring. So it's, 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 you know, in constant need of supply to drive these reactions, at least in a favorable way. Sure, sure. And that's usually seen by, by, by doing it, of course, multiple times through the day. You know, and, and, you know, when we talk about orthomolecular dosing of things like this, it wasn't, in, it wasn't you know, something that shouldn't have been looked at uh, uh, a little bit more carefully or, and or with more credibility. Uh, and that orthomolecular dosing would certainly uh, offer us that potential to say, okay, I'm going to have X percentage of B vitamins here, here, and here, let's say, in the day. It could be more than that. I usually say take a B vitamin with pretty much every meal. So if you're yeah, going to eat for sure. six, you know, six times in the day, take, take a B vitamin. Because it's even metabolically expensive than just food. And we're yeah. doing it all the time. Yeah, no, that's a great point, actually. And, you know, what you're basically um, synopsizing for us is the fact that you're not a victim of your genes. In other words, Art Atwood or oh, somebody no. else like him isn't just like it's. People always say this, as you know, because I hear this as a health professional. Oh, it's all in your genes, but it's your time, it's your time. No, it's not, actually. You have a lot more responsibility for your life than, than you want to let on, believe it or not, because there are so many variables at play here that your choices really do uh, have a significant impact on your health. Now, 25 years ago, there was a guy from Harvard called Dr. Bruce Lipton. And he said this 25 years ago, the era of DNA primacy is dead. I never forgot that. Maybe it was 20 years ago. He actually said that on the Gary Null Show, believe it or not. And I never dropped that out of my mind because Dr. Bruce Lipton, of course, has gone on to write a lot of uh, books on epigenetics, uh, specifically the influence of your thoughts and your beliefs and how they switch on and off various uh, you know, genes. So I, th I think it's a very interesting field. And the whole point I'm trying to get at here is that you really are the driver. You're not a victim of your genes. Is that not correct? Absolutely. No, I agree 100%. Great. Now, it even goes 
further back than that, as you know, because there have been studies done, I believe, at least correlational studies in humans and actual studies in, 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 in rats and mice, perhaps, showing that uh, our grandparents and what they experienced, even great-grandparents going back generational, and what they experienced actually is, in some sense, passed on. Like, for example, if your grandparents were diabetic or obese, you will have a greater propensity for diabetes and obesity. So it's pretty amazing just how um, far-reaching these epigenetic factors are, I think. Don't, don't, don't you agree? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's, you know, it's something that transcends time itself, perhaps, so. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And so um, besides the B vitamins, obviously, which is, like you said, are relatively inexpensive and a good insurance policy, uh, are there any other agents you recommend? Uh, now, again, besides just methylation, there are other various types of processes like ubiquination, I believe, or uh, maybe you might know the other ones. I forget what they're called. Uh, glucuronidation, I can't remember exactly. But, yeah, I mean, oftentimes, uh, yeah. I mean, as you're exposing or getting rid of various uh, bad players, in the system, uh, you usually attach groups to them. It's, it's easily, you know, easily recognized in that state, uh, and it's usually the thing that's ready for expulsion. You know, whether that be through uh, the urine or you know fecal matter. So you're 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 kind of sort of priming the system for that. Uh, you know, you can put a sulfur group on it called sulfation. Uh, that's right. Or, or what have you. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen. Glucuronidation is, is probably a very, very prominent player, at least in second-pass liver metabolism, um, you know, and responsible for a lot of drugs that go through your system, realistically. I mean, yeah. you're, you're kind of doing things to them uh, through first-pass and in, in some, and, and certainly um, more, more, more wholeheartedly, second-pass is kind of uh, sort of the, the expellent or the thing that's really driving taking that thing out of the system, not allowing it to continuously go around in tape loop. Um, so it's actually something that's pertinent, at least even in uh, various toxicities, uh, you know, as, as an example, at least. Yeah, yeah. Now, for sulfates, you just mentioned, would agents like methane, MSM, be something worthwhile considering since it's relatively inexpensive? Meaning to, from a supplemental standpoint? Yeah, are there anything you can do, like the sulfur groups, I guess, we're looking at? Maybe N-acetylcysteine? I'm not sure what sulfur yeah, groups I mean, sulfur uh, is. Yeah, I mean, the, the issue with that is I don't think that the data's there. Um, okay. You know, I'm a, I'm a guy, too, who tries to meld as much of my insurance policy as I can with true data. Um, so I think that's a little bit more difficult. Um, I mean, you could certainly suggest that. Um, you could suggest things that are done to make something... Uh, less or, or I should say more resistant at least to that expulsion process um, you know I mean a good example at least for for, for for our crowd might be you know C17 alpha alkylation which is actually sticking methyl groups on at certain points making them not subject to first pass usually you're going to get kind of caught up in second pass but there are certain things very similar to that that might actually make something pretty resistant to second pass and, and create significant toxicities we're just not privy to understanding them all. Uh, and I think that's where, where you kind of, I mean, we can draw some insurance policies and there are certainly sulfur donating things, but, you know, as to whether or not I would actually suggest using them, um, uh, again, I, I'd be a little hard pressed, at least at this state. Sure. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, they, they do exist. They do exist. Uh, N-acetylcysteine itself is more of a, uh, not so much a sulfur donor, but it's a glutathione producer. Okay. So, N-acetylcysteine, a good agent to, to take if you can stomach the uh, sort of raw egg, rotten egg smell, if you can get past that, 
sometimes I think it certainly would be pertinent, at least from a from a uh, assistance on the liver and its uh, various uh, products. But you know, it's it's, it's certainly uh, you know something that. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's worth discussing, you know, but I, I, I just don't know that the data is there overtly. I mean, N-acetylcysteine is obviously the, um, you know, the treatment for Tylenol overdoses. Uh, yeah. Tylenol being certainly a much more toxic substance than a lot give credit, uh, and certainly more uh, more toxic than alcohol amongst a host of other things to the liver, um, and responsible for more deaths than any of these things. Um, you know, th- this is a great topic, actually. I just want to get into this whole use of NSAIDs because people pop them, like people pop Tylenol PM as a sleep agent, as you know. I mean, I mean, I hear my friends all the time. Yeah, it took two Tylenol PM to fall asleep, and I'm like, you know, now maybe I'm overreacting because I'm a little bit of a health nut, but Dana, maybe you could put it perspective here, the use of, of NSAIDs, um, you know, the, the, the laissez-faire attitude about these things. I mean, I'm not yeah. sure exactly how that compares ibuprofen. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, that's the thing. Like, NSAIDs as a group, uh, aspirin, ibuprofen, Aleve, um, you know, these kinds of things are uh, very, they're much more toxic to the stomach itself. Oh, yeah, okay. uh, versus the liver. So, uh, oftentimes you're, and, and, and NSAIDs in that category this doesn't include Tylenol acetaminophen. It's 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 something that is a little bit different. They're primarily excreted through the kidneys. They're not actually primarily excreted through uh, through liver metabolism. Okay. But 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 I mean we've talked about this you know at length in the past at least in that if you you know have them too close to the workout or a host of other things. I mean there are times that are appropriate for them. Um, but they're probably most caustic, I'd say, to the, uh, to the gastrointestinal wall, in particular the stomach. So uh, they actually inhibit prostaglandin, um, different types of prostaglandins. They're actually, you know, COX inhibition or cyclooxygenase, particular enzyme in, in root uh, to production of those things. Unfortunately, not all prostaglandins are bad, but we can't, we can't say, okay, well, this is a what, you know, what have you. Uh, sure. Perhaps the selective COX-2s sometimes uh, uh, Celebrex and so forth, but 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 then you're subject to some side effects. So this per, you know particular style um, um, agent actually uh, one of the prostaglandins, prostaglandin E1, uh, is actually responsible for protection of your stomach lining. And so if you're inhibiting its production, then of course now you're left without that particular <laughs> insurance uh, offering um, that's produced by your own body. Uh, and so you're in a position there. As far as uh, Tylenol is concerned, I guess the fortunate thing and discussion point would be, you know, we can actually we're 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 a, we're a funny organism, but we do pretty well. Uh, we tax our bodies to the nth degree, and the fortunate thing is that we'll function with probably about 15% of our our liver healthy, <laughs> which is actually well, that's, I mean, that's a good thing. It's, it's Don't encourage all, all these people, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that's something I probably should think about, right? But no, yeah, exactly. I mean, in reality, I mean, well, we'd be a much sicker bunch. I mean, we tax <laughs> the crap out of our livers, right? So, yeah, I mean, we'd be a we'd be a sicker bunch, and we'd probably have died off long ago um, if that wasn't the case. Unfortunately, the liver is subject to regeneration. Hell, you know, I mean, it takes a cirrhotic patient. It's interesting because actually, in the hospital, you know. I don't know that I can suggest it to be a joke, but sometimes we'll say you can't kill a, a liver ailment patient. You really can't. Yeah. The guys that don't have that, that you know, are, are suffering from other ailments that tend to have issues. So I mean, and I'm just using that as illustrative fashion 
to suggest that our livers take a beating. I mean, it's the reality of it. And we've listed purposefully the upper limit dose for Tylenol at four grams, whereas in the acute setting, you know, four grams might give you an issue, but um, it's usually about six to 10 grams that'll, that'll probably cause more issues. So we kind of strategically set that a little bit lower in what the yeah. upper limit is as far as our doses. I mean, it's not uh, throwing caution to the wind as much as you might think. Well, you know, it's kind of funny. I just had a coffee with an old client of mine who was, um, I'm not going to mention his name, but he happens to be HIV positive, hep C positive, and he was an avid drinker and a partier uh, back when I knew him and trained him. And one day he showed up to the gym with an IV. <laughs> he actually had some highly toxic hep C drug and he had to have it on during his workout. It was crazy. But the point was, the point well made, you know what? This guy, he's still healthy. He's like almost 60 years old. He looks great right. for his age. And uh, you're right. You can't kill them, so maybe yeah. maybe there is some. some I, it sounds kind of more. It sounds like really, <laughs> you know, wrong the way we're we're using. It. But but it's the reality. I mean, it's it's very hard. The liver, in and of its own right, it takes a beating. You know, I mean, it would be uh, realistically something that would take a uh, take a shot from say say you know Floyd uh, a little bit easier than uh, recent people may, even if it was a yeah. sneak shot, you know, and so forth. Uh, sure. You know, they it still probably take a little bit uh, better beating than than that, um, and, and it's fortunate. It's fortunate because we, uh, you know, we're we're subject to a lot of things, and, and we subject our bodies to a lot of things. Uh, that it's that, you know, I mean, it's if it's, it's kind of like suggesting that a, a pregnant female, just for illustrative purposes, should essentially for nine months be restricted to bed rest. Well, that's crazy. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, that's like suggesting we are, or, I mean, because we, again, we would have died off a long time ago. You know, women were having babies before OBGYN was ever considered a profession. So, I mean, it, you know, it's, 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 it's putting at least in a point that we as humans, we, we, we kind of have these uh, adaptive mechanisms to whatever might be out there, um, which is actually fortunate because it's, it's something that will propagate the, at least the, uh, the species probably long term. No, it's, 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 a, it's a great topic. I mean, your point is basically that, that, that stress, to some degree, is very healthy. I mean, really, we respond as athletes. We do step into the arena to stress our bodies because we know we're going to get a, an adaptive response, a positive adaptive response, I you guess stress. is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, you stress, positive yeah. stress. Yeah, So I mean, exactly. yeah, absolutely, because, and, and people kind of, you know, they're always villainizing things like cortisol, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, and, and I'll obviously come back constantly to hormonal debate, but <laughs> cortisol... Uh, itself shouldn't necessarily be seen as such an evil thing. I know in the in the world of I want to be anabolic all the time, stress is is an adaptive response. Your body's only going to adapt to it if you allow it to. There's periods of controlled catabolism that should be part of a healthy setup, a healthy construction as far as what you're going to do. You know, there's only four tissue types in the body. The best example we might have is fat loss. Fat loss or the loss of any kind of tissue, but fat being one of the four fat loss itself is catabolic. You have to have periods of catabolism in order to modulate what looks back at you in the mirror every morning. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and, and so, so stress shouldn't be viewed as bad. We have responses, fortunately, that uh, are also put into play to combat anything that might go awry. And it's just the same as our liver story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, as much as we're saying how resilient the body is, um, if you want to be an athlete and you want to 
tax your body in that sense. Don't expect to be able to go out and drink the way a heavy alcoholic is and add that to the array and get away with it as an example, right? I mean, you know. Sure, sure. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and promote <laughs> the opposite of what health might be. And I think, you know, yeah, you would I'm be sort of an ambassador are, yeah. for health as a bodybuilder. You know, I mean, it would completely throw your entire mantra out the door. Yeah. I mean, it's suggesting yeah. that, 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 that everything you would essentially stand for is just non-essential. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know if you've seen pictures of, uh, uh, say, the 24-hour fitness places that have escalators up, up to and from the, uh, the actual uh, the gym itself. <laughs> And I think to myself, well, what the hell is that, you know? Yeah. It's the same same kind of thing. I mean, you know, it's like if we're trying to present ourselves in a fashion that is the pinnacle of health, you know, how do we translate that? And should that not transcend our entire lifestyles? Exactly. No, I definitely agree. So basically, uh, you know, people out there need to choose their recreational drugs uh, carefully, obviously, <laughs> and make sure that they know what the downstream effects of them are, the long-term effects of them are before they start, especially in the bodybuilding world, because as you know, I haven't been out there uh, in Las Vegas myself a couple of times. Bodybuilders, a lot of them are party animals, and they really don't embrace uh, the health, the healthy lifestyle. <laughs> right. You know? On many fronts, yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, we're just about out of time, Dana. Anything else you want to wrap up and, and say to our audience as we uh, close out this session? Uh, you know, again, I, it's just a simple reiteration of uh, what we've talked about. Uh, you know, uh, this should extend beyond, should extend beyond the gym, uh, should certainly apply to the complete 24-hour period that we uh, experience as our quote-unquote day or prototypical day. Um you know, again, just, again, be ambassadors of, be ambassadors of the lifestyle you preach. Yeah, great point. And Dana, if anyone listening out there wants to get in touch with you, since you are, uh, you know, an expert in these fields, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Do you have a website again you can repeat to oh, our audience? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's multiple ways um, and or forums. Uh, in particular, you know, I, I've, I've made myself a little bit more available on the, uh, the RX Muscle Forum. Yes. Um, but I also have uh, uh, various... Dr. Hauser granted forums on other other places. Uh, uh, actually, they just put a forum up tonight. Uh, uh, anabolic Anabolic Minds. Um, so there's a, sort of another uh, another forum uh, area okay. to, to to contact me. Or Lean Bulk uh, is something that I've been part of for uh, at least the better part of maybe three four years at this point. So. And you're on Facebook, Medical Muscle. On Facebook, LLC? absolutely. Medical Muscle, That's right. like us. So, someone wants to call your office and actually make an appointment, maybe because someone, like I said, some of my friends. People have actually, uh, as a result of the show, people have actually uh, contacted me. It's usually uh, behind the scenes, but uh, they've contacted That's me great. and or figured out the way, so they've messaged in that particular fashion. Very cool. So now you owe me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's good to hear. I'm really, I'm really glad because you've given invaluable amounts of information on the on the forum threads, and I really appreciate that. Actually, that, that's that's been awesome. You know, oh, my so pleasure. we'll have to have you on again, of course, uh, as one of our regulars. And I just want to thank everybody for tuning in once again. Uh, if you guys could like us on Facebook under Quantum Physiques, that'd be great too. We need some fan support. And once again, this is Brian Cunningham, your host for Quantum Physiques here on RxMuscle.com. Stay tuned next week for another show. Bye bye. Quantum Physiques with Brian Cunningham is dedicated to harnessing the power of the holy grail of health, fitness, lifestyle, and success. And you'll hear Quantum Physiques every Wednesday evening, only on RX Muscle.